Hello, friends. Welcome back to Unfeigned Christianity, where we help Christians find culturally aware, biblically nuanced, and Jesus-embodying responses to current day issues. I'm excited to have my friend Christy Mast on the podcast today to discuss biblical studies and kind of her journey in going into biblical studies and particularly kind of the angle of being a conservative Anabaptist lady and going to school for something that it's not like she's ever going to become a preacher, in, um, at least in her, her church setting. And so why is it significant? Why is it important? I really enjoyed it my conversation with her. I I hope you find it enjoyable as well. Now, just as a heads up, we currently have enrollment to Finding My Place in God's Story open. So if you are interested in the course, we've just recently gone through a series. You literally got uh, some of the best part of the course. Obviously, there's a lot more to the course than what I shared in the three-part series, but uh, that's a taste of it. And if that intrigued you, if that felt like, wow, that's something I really use. Uh, Click the link in the description. You'll be able to learn all the details about our course page or just simply go to asherwhitmer.com and it will take you to course there and see if if that course is something that is right for you. And now let's dive into my conversation with Christy Mast. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome, Christy Mass, to Unfamed Christianity. It's good to have you here. It's so good to be here. I have known your family. I don't know. I don't even know who was who was friends first, but me and my older siblings have gone to Bible school with some of your older siblings, and I don't know if our parents were friends before or not. I know I'm my not sure in-laws. either. Once I married the Lauren Miller family, I heard a lot about the Marvin Mass family, but yeah, um, yeah, we've I, go for it. Yeah, Sorry. I know that um, one of my main memories of your family is you all were driving out west. I'm not sure if it was actually when you were moving to California, but you drove through Kansas and stopped and stayed at our place and shared several meals. I think we hosted you overnight at least, and that. Uh, Definitely made an impression. I was pretty young at the time, um, <laughs> but it was very an exciting family uh, that were clearly on mission. Yeah, I remember one thing. I remember. I think we were coming back from long term training in New York City. We had just moved okay. out to California, and I remember we played peek around the corner around your house there. <laughs> That's and... funny. I would have forgotten that. Yeah. <laughs> We were like most of us, I think we're in our close to 20 years old or so. And yeah, had a ball. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I caught wind. I'm not sure where it was, who it was somewhere along the line. I caught wind that you are or maybe, did, have you done, have you been on uh, maybe like Anabaptist perspectives or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I did two two episodes with them. Okay. It may have been mm-hmm. that, actually, that I realized, oh, you're going, you were at the time going for biblical studies at Sattler College. And 
that just kind of piqued my interest. And I, I personally am in the middle of, I think you're farther ahead than I am. I'm, I've been dragging this out for several years in the middle of a bachelor's of biblical studies, but I've been running an annual course on sort of Bible studies called finding my place in God's story, kind of a, Mm -hmm. a deeper connection with God's story and how we fit into it and everything. And each year I try to get some people to interview and discuss Bible study and and biblical interpretation a little bit more. And I've often thought it'd be fun to, to, to have a lady on and discuss this. And I could have any lady on, but the fact that you were in college for biblical studies is what piqued my interest. And so I just wanted to kind of have you on and hear your journey and and what it's been like doing that. And I I think part of what piques my interest is I told you in messenger that in conservative Anabaptist circles, that's not really been a thing period really to go get Bible training specifically, but especially maybe for women. And so Mm -hmm. I was kind of curious to hear some of the history of your own journey and, and what led to where you're at today. Yeah, no, it's a um, <laughs> great observation. There's not, there aren't a lot of people of conservative Anabaptists going to seminary or that kind of thing, period. And I don't know, I don't think I've met, I've, may, I've met one other, or I know of one other kind of Anabaptist adjacent woman who's, who's um, gone to seminary, but we're done biblical studies on kind of a college level, but I don't, I don't think I personally know any, I would love to meet them (laughs) Mm -hmm. if they're, I'm sure there's more out there, but it wasn't necessarily something that I set out to do, you know, from little on up or anything like that. I always knew that I wanted to go to college and that studying academics was something I really enjoyed, but I assumed that it was going to be something maybe medical, maybe I was really interested in culinary anthropology for a while. Culinary anthropology. What is that? <laughs> basically the study, like studying how humans interact with food and interesting, especially yeah. in different cultures and historically and all these things. Urban agriculture was also something hmm. I was really interested in and mm-hmm. the way that food brings people together. So there's a, there's a theme with food there for sure. But I didn't know. I didn't know what direction to take it. It felt like there were so many different directions. And so I um, went to Faith Builders, which is a small conservative Anabaptist school up in Northwestern Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not accredited, but they do a, one of the tracks that they offer is a basically college preparation and mm-hmm. it kind of acts like the first two years of junior college. And so I went there looking for kind of a foundation in my faith but then also hope for some direction and mentoring and guidance into what should I specifically pursue after college. And so I, while I was there, I cycled through several different plans and was really wrestling with a lot of things. And one of the really significant things that happened for me at Faith Builders was that I learned some basic tools of Bible study Hmm. and I think before I went, I I had a decent relationship with the word. 
I would read my Bible, but it was kind of an on and again, off again relationship. And mostly I felt guilty for not loving it more and not hmm. being mm-hmm. more engaged. And there was moments where I'd have really like connection, a lot of connection with the word and it would become really clear, but those were pretty few and far in between. I also felt really intimidated by scripture and you know, I'd hear people talking about, oh, you're taking this verse out of context or you're violating the text with that interpretation or whatever it was. And I grew up in a family of thinkers and debaters and Hmm. um, a number of ordained ministers in my extended family and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I just, I really wasn't confident when it came to scripture and handling scripture well. But at Faith Builders, I got a few basic study tools for scripture learned how to read in context, learned Mm -hmm. how to kind of think about story, scripture as story and how to Mm -hmm. locate passages in the larger overarching story, things like inductive Bible study methods, just Mm -hmm. some really basic kind of bread and butter butter things. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that it truly transformed my relationship with Mm -hmm. scripture, with the word. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually grew to love and even crave scripture in a way that I didn't know was possible before. So that was really transformative for me at Faith Builders. And so that was kind of another thread or piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So in my wrestling, figuring out, trying trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, what I was going to study, I knew, I figured out pretty soon that it should be pretty directed to people and to human flourishing. I think some people are called to, you know, do science, for example, and research. And I think that's very valuable and necessary. We need Christians, we need believers in those fields. But it became clear that that for me specifically, something more connected to people was probably where I where I should go. So I I was wrestling with all these different things and ideas. And I still remember <laughs> exactly where I was. It was in They have small discipleship mentoring groups. And I was talking about some of these different things. And I can't remember if my mentor or if somebody else or if I said it, but basically was like, what if you would give yourself permission to actually think about going to school for something like counseling or biblical studies? Hmm. And that was like a huge turning point in the way I was thinking about it. Yeah. Why, why, if I can jump in here real quick, why, why did you feel the need or why was it framed like as giving permission? Did you feel like, was, was, was it because you had so long dreamed about something else or, or were there other dynamics that were at play? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And it's one that I thought about because I didn't even realize that I wasn't kind of allowing myself to think of something in that more direction as a Bible option. But I think it felt really presumptuous and arrogant (laughs) for me Hmm. to go into either one of those fields into into something like counseling, because I'm like, who am I to to think that I could actually help people work through their problems? Like, I have lots of issues. And then specifically Mm -hmm. for biblical studies, which is obviously what I ended up choosing, like you said, there aren't many Anabaptists who <laughs> go into biblical studies in an academic setting. Mm-hmm. And I'm not ever going to be a ordained minister of the word in a church setting. And so why in the world would I spend 
copious amounts of time and money studying scripture if I'm never going to be a preacher mm-hmm. and a pastor in a church. So yeah, I think it felt kind of presumptuous and arrogant. And then also like practically, is that worth the investment if I'm not going to be ordained and preaching? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that really opened up, opened up the possibility for me. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. When, when, sorry, I keep jumping in here in the middle no, of your story. That's but perfect. When I started or one of the, even now, like one of the common questions I ha- get is, so do you, do you plan to be a preacher or like, what are you going to do with this? <laughs> and I'm curious, what do you get similar questions like that? Or what, how do people respond when you, when you started talking about, I want to go to Bible. Yeah. Bible college. Yeah. It's, it's a good question. Um, I don't think anybody was ever like, Oh, everybody was like, Oh, what do you plan to do with that? Um, mm-hmm. for sure. And my, my dad especially is very practical when it comes to education, higher ed in, in particular. And so that was really good for me. He, he pushed me a lot to think about what are the ways that you're actually going to practically use this to serve the church, to serve the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so even before I went down this path, I was thinking a lot and feeling a lot to just the lack of theological education that there is in general in conservative Anabaptist churches but specifically for women. And I think, I think it does come back to this. This isn't true across the board, but I think because women are ordained as ministers, they're not called on to do devotionals. They're not called on to teach scripture in the same way that men are, which I think is fine and good and appropriate. It's easy to not prioritize their, their education as much. So, and when I would talk about that, people, always resonated with that and said, yeah, like it's pulling hen's teeth to get ladies Sunday school teachers, you know, at our church (laughs) or whatever it is. There's not Mm -hmm. women who are eager and feel equipped and confident in, in studying and teaching scripture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. I, I kind of jumped, cut you off. I think right as you Mm -hmm. were giving yourself permission to pursue that, but what, yeah. After that point, what was the journey like? Yeah. So, had this moment where I was like, Oh, actually I can do this. And the people around me really affirmed that as well. Another really big piece was just that at faith builders, we talked a lot about what does it look like for human beings to flourish Hmm. and to have whole healthy relationships with God and with each other and with the world around them. And so I was thinking about this and realized, right, that ultimately human flourishing looks like uh, becoming more like God and knowing him more fully and deeply. And so kind of trace this (laughs) line of logic down to, okay, so how do we know God, right? And there's so many different ways. We know him, Romans talks about how we, we see his invisible attributes in the created world. So like science, history, the whole, all of creation reveals him. He's also revealed through the church, right? Through our brothers and sisters in the community of the saints. And then of course, most importantly, through the incarnation when he actually became a human being and showed us what that looks like to be whole human beings. And, and, um, and then the Holy spirit too is here with us showing us what Mm -hmm. it means and how to be like God. But I kind of had this revelation moment of like, 
oh, actually scripture, <laughs> like hmm. scripture is one of the most concrete, tangible ways that we have to understand God, to know him more, to really dig into who he is, how he acts in the world, um, how he wants us to, to model his rule and reign, how to mediate his presence. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, whoa, this is such a, like, why aren't we just, it feels like we're not making use of this resource that we have, that he's given mm-hmm. to us um, to really understand him and to know him um, through his word. And obviously the word's not enough. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the church. We need all these things, but it is one of the most concrete concrete avenues that we have. And so that's what really led me to biblical studies. I really care. I mean, the heart of what I care about is, is especially women's discipleship, but just discipleship in general. And like I said, thought about counseling, but felt like I wasn't equipped and didn't have the same vision for women who are experiencing kind of abnormal trauma or pain or that kind of thing, but really cared about kind of the everyday woman sitting in the pews and Mm. how can I equip her to become more like God? and mm-hmm. more whole person mentally emotionally spiritually mature and saw scripture as just this really beautiful way to to do that yeah so yeah that's kind of the story of like how i actually got into biblical studies and what what led me down that path yeah no that's good thanks for sharing have you been blessed by the work of unfeigned christianity if so i invite you to go deeper by becoming a member of unfeigned christianity on patreon all of our work is designed to help christians find culturally aware biblically nuanced and jesus embodying responses to current day issues and we could not do it without the support of our members. As a part of the membership, you get to go deeper into sorting through what does it look like to faithfully embody Jesus in a world and in our culture and time. There are three main tiers of membership. If you become an advanced member, which is the middle tier, I will send you a free copy of Lori and Matt Creek's book, An Impossible Marriage. This is the best marriage book I've read. If you become an advanced member this month, I'll send you a free copy. Now here's the really good deal. When you do an annual membership, you get 16% off. If you'd like to see more details, just visit asherwhitmer.com forward slash member. So yeah, I, I, I'd love to get into kind of the, the actual process of diving deeper into biblical studies. But first, maybe, what are some ways, so you, you say you graduated last year, last spring? That's right. Or, yeah. mm-hmm. Spring a year ago. Yeah. What are ways that, and and how long was that to get the bachelor's? Was that two-year program or four years? So I actually, some of us take longer than others. It took me five years. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Which that was, well, that was two years at Faith Builders and then three years here at Sattler. Sattler has a pretty rigorous core curriculum. And so took three years to finish finish that degree up here. Okay. Do you learn both Greek and Hebrew? At Sattler? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So I had three semesters of each. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. A little bit more of Greek, but yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's one thing I, I do not have at this point yet, but I'm wrapping up. It'll be closer to six, six and a half years till I'm done <laughs> with mine. But so, so uh, I take even longer, I guess. But what are some ways that you have found to 
to put your training to use in whether that's Sunday service or um, like I know you just recently came out with a Bible study for yeah. groups of women. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So that's definitely the biggest kind of application. So published a Bible study with Daughters of Promise called Kingdom of Priests. And it's a 10 week group Bible study for women specifically. And it's a it's a Bible study, but it's also a Bible study practicum. So hmm. it teaches you how to study the Bible mm-hmm. as you go along. And it's a biblical theology study. So it traces the theme of priesthood actually from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and it <laughs> only scratches the surface, of course. It's yeah. 10 lessons. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the biggest piece. And I've been able to actually do that with, I beta tested the whole thing summer a year ago with women from my church in Kansas, which I live in Boston, work in Boston now, but I'm from Kansas. And then, yeah, that study was actually published January of this year and is available. And that was actually my capstone project as a student here at Sattler. So it was something that I did the bulk of it as a student, my senior year, and then work together with Daughter of Promise to turn it into an actually publishable um, study mm-hmm. last yeah. year. So yeah, that's that's the biggest, but there's been so many different, so, so, so many different ways. Yeah, opportunities, a few speaking opportunities here and there, but honestly, the, the most amazing has been just leading groups of women in hmm. studying the Bible and offering them tools to do that on their own. Also have done, worked with a group that does really basic Bible studies with people who are learning English. And that's just been really an incredible application as well, ministry and more evangelism oriented. That's really cool. Yeah. So part of why I asked the question is for somebody listening, if they're just like, well, I don't, you know, is it, is the training only good for publishing a, a Bible study or like writing? And, and I like your vision for the everyday woman and specifically like teaching people in your community. We uh, typically conservative Anabaptists are more, you know, fairly strong in the complementarian side of things, or, you know, women don't have as much of a role in the church service. But with that, we believe that women should be teaching younger women. And yet we haven't, one of my observations would be that we haven't really trained our women how to teach younger women. And so um, I love that that's kind of the vision that has compelled you into into this work. And I think it's there for any anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we actually do believe in gender distinction and that men and women have distinct roles and callings in the kingdom, then I think that actually is more reason that we need men and women studying the Bible together and learning from Hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. Because we do have, yeah, it's the story of Hagar hits a little differently from a, you know, perspective of somebody who's a mother (laughs) and who, or even more so, right, if there's somebody who 
maybe whose ancestors were enslaved or that kind of thing. Mm. It hits differently than when it's coming from, you know, the mouth of a, an ordained man in position mm. of authority. Right. And it's, I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but just that our, our perspectives and our experiences do shape how we, yeah how we, how we read scripture. And I, I think it's really important for us to, to learn yeah. from each other in that. Yeah, absolutely. That, that gives me another question. I didn't forewarn you as you have, I mean, I'd about this, but just bring that up. I'd be curious what I'd love to hear from anybody listening to this or whatever, like what some of these things might be, but as you specifically have studied through scripture and then as you hear sermons, are there things and what are they, if there are that jump out that, um, specifically seem to be missed or either either missed or emphasized because it's primarily men preaching that you noticed kind of at a whole new level before in your study of scripture. I don't is, is that question clear? Yeah, no, that that is. It makes sense. And I don't have like great clear examples of this, but I do there's several kind of big overarching things that I think are are important. Um, so one of the one of the classes that I took here at Sattler was called Ministry of the Word. It was basically a preaching class, <laughs> but we preached to a female audience. Okay. And so fellow female students would come and be our audience and give us feedback and that kind of thing. And one of the things that one of my fellow students noted was she was like, it is just so much more demanding of me to hear scripture like exposited and applied from another woman because hmm. I know that we're, you get my life. It, it's like there's this there's this um, gap that's removed mm -hmm. that there is always going to be between me and a, you know, middle-aged male preacher, which is fine. Like I said, that's it's it's okay. Those gaps exist. But I think when there's people that are like us that are expositing and applying the word, then it does. It it hits closer to home. Because mm -hmm. it's from our perspective and it and it applies. Mm -hmm. The other big thing is just that whenever we talk about women's roles in the church, we talk a lot about the prohibitions and the areas of scripture mm -hmm. that are, you know, women shouldn't do this or that. And that makes sense, right? Because we're like doing our searches like women <laughs> church or whatever it is. But I think what that misses is that women are called to be ministers of the gospel and that we're all priests. We're all kings and queens over creation. And so I think sometimes it can feel like, or it can be easy to get the impression that men have the real work of ministry mm -hmm. because they're doing these very specific, specific things when really no, like the majority of the Bible is teaching all of us to go preach the gospel, mm -hmm. to make disciples, to exhort each other, to, to encourage each other, to all of this, this whole list of things that, and I think when that's always coming from a male minister, then again, there can be kind of that gap of the, that he's not talking to me yeah. specifically in my stage of life. So, yeah, yeah, those are two things that I think of. They're they're definitely not very specific, but 
yeah, more no, overarching. It, it makes sense though. Yeah. So a couple things. You had the privilege of going to <laughs> Sattler, which is is maybe somewhat of a more acceptable I don't I don't know. I don't live in a high concentrated Mennonite area and so I'm not I don't have a very good feel of how different colleges are received in Mennonite circles, Anabaptist circles. But one one of the things when I first started going I it was twenty sixteen that we decided we were in Asia at the time and decided we were going to come back the next year and go to Bible college. And that was like one of the, the, I'm, I'm trying to think how to say this graciously. Like I received a lot of, I think a classic example is someone once asked, I was sitting next to my brother-in-law who is currently in school at the time, this was a few years ago, he was in school to be a nurse. And somebody asked me if my going to Bible college was a way of leaving the Mennonites. And, and it was that person has since apologized for asking that. But it was kind of it just that just kind of typifies as a whole, historically, Anabaptists haven't been big in education, period. But it seems like there's been a greater acceptance of education when it comes to the more practical fields of nursing and even business to a certain degree, teaching stuff like that. But when it comes to biblical theology, there, there can be a sense of, I don't know if it's just uncertainty. Like, are you going to, are you going to go rogue on us sort of feel <laughs> or, or what it is. And I'm just curious if you've bumped into that at all and like how, how that was. And then I think part of my struggle has been like actually discovering that, you know what? I'm not sure that we do always study the Bible well as Anabaptists and then wrestling through like what to do with that as you're, as you're digging. No, like my kind of what you shared, my love for God's word has grown through Bible college. It has not made me want to undermine scripture. And it, it, it has only increased the value of scripture and the, the desire to, to know it and to know Jesus through his word. And yet it does conflict with, or the, the, to be faithful to the interpretations is more difficult perhaps than what I was maybe given in, in my, more plain upbringing. And I'm curious if you, yeah, how, how do you wrestle with that? Maybe it's different. Like I, I did go to a very Protestant. They were, they were very sympathetic to Anabaptist theology, but, but it was very much a Protestant college. And so maybe, maybe I faced some of those conflicts a little bit more, but I'm just curious to hear some of your journey in that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually planning to go to a Protestant a Protestant school right there in Kansas. I had my scholarships. I had signed up everything um, ready to go, but then found out that it might be an option to go to Sattler. I was pretty skeptical, but anyway, long story short, decided to go to Sattler instead. And I do think that both all of this happening, both in the context of faith builders and then mm, Sattler mm. was a huge, huge gift to me. Also the fact that my church and community in Kansas in general, I'm actually a third generation college student. 
which is really remarkable and unusual for, for many in the Anabaptist world. My grandpa went to, mm-hmm. it was Eastern Mennonite College back in the day, but now it's EMU as an Amish boy. And he wasn't the only oh, wow. his generation. <laughs> so that makes a really big difference. My mom is an RN in just the whole, the whole perspective. But I do think that kind of what I talked about earlier of I needed to fight more for like, does this actually have practical benefit mm-hmm. to the church? Like, are you not going to be better off just kind of doing this on your own and learning on your own or, you know, doing something that has more, I guess, practical application? Yeah, I've actually been amazed by the opposite, especially Hmm. when I talk to women, especially pastor's wives or women who are kind of in some kind of leadership or shepherding role in their church. They're always like, this is so important what you're doing. We need, desperately need better biblical hmm. theological resources for our women. And and I've been surprised by just the overwhelming affirmation. And I'm sure mm-hmm. like the different worlds and cultures that you're moving in make a really big difference. But I think yeah. that's one thing that's been actually really surprising to me. That's really cool. Hey friends, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Dwell app. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Dwell Audio Bible app, but this app is phenomenal. It It's changed my life in several different ways. As a Bible college student, I do tremendous amounts of Bible reading throughout the semester, more than I normally do. And I'm not a fast reader. And so one of the ways that I have been able to keep on top of the Bible reading is through the Dwell app. One one of the things I really like about it is there's very meditative, reflective music played in the background of the reader. So it's not dramatized. Some some audio Bible apps are dramatized and that's a little, I don't know, not my cup of tea. But it's a very calming and just peaceful way of having the Bible read to you. There's also, there's at least 15, I think there's close to 30 by now, different voices that you can choose from. There's many different translations you can choose from. For the ESV, I think there's maybe two or three voices, if that makes sense. But there's over 15 voices for sure. And so you can have a female voice, you can have a male voice, you can have a British accent, you can have an American accent, you can have a Canadian accent or a well, I like the British accent, so I listen to the Bible in the British accent, and it's it's been a really good way to keep on top of my homework, but also I have found, sometimes I'll be listening to Audio Bible as I commute someplace or as I'm doing some other work, or even in the morning. Sometimes it's hard to wake up, you're tired, and to sit down and read, it literally feels like an intellectual exercise. You're just... It's like school, like starting your day with school. And I love learning things, but I'm not like, I don't do well at starting my day with school. And so when you wake up and you're tired, but you want you want to meditate on the Word of God to just put in my Air, AirPods and listen to the Dwell app is an incredible way to start my morning, just in peaceful worship, meditation. I hear things differently when I hear it being read than when I read it. I personally think you should read and hear it both, but that's one thing I like about Audio Bible is different things stick out that didn't stand out before. I'll listen to it as I'm going on a run or something, and I can't say enough good about the Dwell app. And so if you would like to take your meditation 
your Bible reading to another level. You can also, if you're not able to sleep at night, you can put in your AirPods and, and listen to the scripture being read and fall asleep that way. I've used that at times as well. But you can start for free. There's a link in the description below, or you can go ahead and purchase the the annual plan, which I have, and it's to me it's very much worth it. Just in the way, a couple things: the way it helps me uh, meditate and kind of a fresh view, a fresh experience with Scripture, and then also the way it helps me keep on top of my homework. It's been very helpful for me. How has so, I mean, you've kind of touched on this already, but is there anything more how your experience in like college is really just kind of giving you a formal structured reason to to study something, right? Like it's not the fact that you go to a particular place that gives you, you it's what you do with it there, but how has the journey at college and diving deep and, and learning Greek and Hebrew and all of the, how to, how to read scripture in context and, and wrestling through. Even, I mean, we were talking earlier, like wrestling through some of the ministry that women in scripture were involved with that is maybe more than what some churches do today. Like how, how has all of that process shaped your faith and your understanding of God? Yeah. Man, that's such a good question. And it's hard to narrow down exactly all the different ways. But I think, honestly, it's a little bit like, this is probably dramatic, but it's a little bit like from going going from black and white to color Hmm. um, Mm -hmm. in terms of the way that I see scripture and the way that I view it, or maybe 2D to 3D. I'm not sure uh, what the best analogy is, but it's just so much more complex and deep and rich not only scripture, but my faith, my mm-hmm. faith is as a result. And I think especially things like some of the typical areas that people are maybe a little bit scared about, like women's roles in the church or or more kind of academic things like textual criticism and how the canon actually came to be put together or the, you know, the, the fact that there's difference in the way that the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, like there's all these textual variants and things that don't Mm -hmm. quite line up, but all of that really has, it's made me view scripture and even just God himself as much more of a living, breathing, moving, Mm. active force or entity. And especially for scripture, it's made me just see a lot more of the humanity of it. And both, both in the authors and also the characters of scripture itself. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's also made me more reliant on my community. So I'm thoroughly Anabaptist in my, in the way that I, I think scripture is meant to be interpreted in community. Mm-hmm. And so things like women in the church, I have, you know, my own understandings and what I think is the ideal that scripture is setting forth. But ultimately, everything that I read in scripture and the way that I apply that, the way that I execute that, especially something, things to do with authority and kind of the structures and where power comes from, that kind of thing, has to be located in the context of an actual local church mm-hmm. of real people, mm-hmm. not just me in my brain trying to figure things out. And I think that's mm-hmm. one thing that studying in a place like 
both Sattler and faith builders, but especially at Sattler, in a community of believers, you are really seeking after God. That was one of the things that really was formative, was the way that we learn from each other and sharpen each other. Yeah, no, that's, I, th I think that's, I resonate with a lot of that. And, and just the, I mean, part of it is just even the history of scripture itself and how it really went you know, 200 years through church history before there was a Bible that we know of. <laughs> so, yeah. Like it is inherently communal in its formation and, and development. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And I think looking at some of those scary questions has just given me so much confidence in God and his, the way that he works in history and the way that he, he is the one that defends his name and mm -hmm. his, his word and his authenticity and that it doesn't, he doesn't require me to do that for him. And that when you really dig and look, there's usually an answer, even if it's not the one that you expect or quite wanted. What have, I was looking at my questions. I was like, Oh, I think we've kind of touched on several of them already, even though I didn't formally ask them. <laughs> so I'll, I'll spring something else on you. Have there been, have there been, you, you said when you're looking for an answer, if you dig, there's usually an answer. Have there been, times when you what you would have typically thought of what you know obviously we we point to what we grew up with and i'm not intending that to be like a negative thing but just like what what we kind of heard taught frequently there are so many different types of christians that have their community narratives and when you actually dig into scripture you might discover something new and different has has that happened where you you thought you kind of knew the answer and you dug in and you're like, whoa, this is different than what I thought. And then has it ever been sort of disorienting in your faith? And how did you navigate that? Yeah. So I think there's, there's, or go ahead. Well, I was just, I didn't know if it would be helpful to kind of give an example, but if you have mm -hmm. something right offhand, go for it. Yeah. So I think definitely some of the theological kind of issues that, sometimes when they're taught can seem really clear and like just crystal clear cut, easy, boom. They're just not quite. And usually when there's a large group of people in the church historically mm -hmm. who've maybe landed at a little different place or that there's been variance in the way that the church has, has thought about things, then there's, that's usually for a reason. And that doesn't mean that it's always the case, but I think just having a lot more, nuance and latitude kind of in mm, mm. some of the finer points of theology and yeah beginning and end of bible even the ways that we think about salvation and hell and all kinds of things in between but i think the really specific example is i can't remember which psalm it is but there's the new testament quotes the psalms often and one of them that gets quoted about jesus a lot is that it's sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. Mm -hmm. And I, in this class, um, we were looking at the New Testament use of the Old Testament. And so this was a senior level class. We were bringing all of our skills of Greek and Hebrew and exegesis, all these different things to, to contrast and compare. How's the New Testament using the Old Testament scriptures and quoting them? Mm -hmm. And in the actual Hebrew text, I'm, I'm going to butcher this because it's been so long since I looked at this, but it basically the, the original quotation is not a body you've prepared for me, but a, you've hollowed out my ear 
or something like that. Oh. That's just kind mm. of like bizarre and doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And that bothered me because how in the world, like how, how is the new Testament quoting, like misquoting the old Testament so dramatically, or then how is like, how is scripture really inerrant or infallible? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that was a big thing. And I, this is kind of a bad example because I can't remember how all it resolved, but as we dug and as we looked, I think it was by looking at the broader context of the passage and even at some of the texts and the way that often the way that Hebrew Hebrew is so compact that a little jaw or a tittle changes, yeah. changes a word. And so there were a lot of explanations for why this difference occurred. But I think one of them was looking at the context of the passage as a whole, the context of the psalm. It was so clearly talking about Jesus and talking about this messianic ruler who's coming and that the New Testament authors, often when they quote the Old Testament, are thinking about, they're, they're quoting it very contextually. They're thinking about the passage as a whole, not just this kind of micro bit that yeah. they copied and pasted. Yeah. So I think that was a moment when I was really like, ah, my kind of modern brain <laughs> um, was, was freaking out. But then when I took a step back and actually kind of tried to put myself in the disciple's shoes, it all clicked and mm-hmm. it was like, no, actually they're thinking just much, much bigger where I'm looking at these granular little details. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, um, but that's the example I think of. Yeah. No, that does make sense. Reminds me of is it Exodus 34 talks about God being slow to anger and the, I, the actual Hebrew meaning has more the insinuation of God being long nostriled. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just uh I mean I guess that that's not like it changes the me it's still kind of the the idea of being slow to anger but it it maybe gives a picture of how in the Hebrew Bible and even the New Testament readers in the day would have had a lot more of a like a picture graphic way of using language almost and like talking about things and, and we're very kind of linear and, and just logical more than. Yeah. 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 And that the, especially the writers of the new Testament, they had a deep understanding of the Hebrew scriptures and they were immersed in yeah. it. They lived and breathed mm-hmm. it. And so I think that was one of the big takeaways is that if it feels like the new Testament is misquoting <laughs> the old <laughs> Testament, or if they're taking it out of context, or you think it's like a weird application of a text, Whenever we would like dig di- dig deep into one of those, the New Testament writers usually came out on top in the yeah. end. Um, <laughs> so we don't. It's maybe not surprising. <laughs> we don't know better than the New Testament. No, uh, yeah. And so often it is because we're thinking in our kind of modernist Western mentality. Yeah. And it it's just a different perspective. So has anything surprised you about scripture? Specifically, we talked some about your experience doing Bible study, but has anything surprised you about scripture specifically? Yeah, I I think I've mentioned some of the things already. I think one of the things that's been surprising and that I just don't get tired of is how interconnected and interwoven hmm. um, scripture is and how every piece 
is part of this greater, this greater web. I think I grew up reading scripture in a much more fragmented way, but seeing how it all fits together as a whole has been really, especially like some of the minor prophets, right? That you think, like, what are those guys doing in there? They're very specifically talking about, you know, this, this one specific time and place and they're just doing one thing. But then you dig in and you see how that spider webs out into the New Testament, the, you know, yeah. the, the history in the Old Testament, the, even the Psalms or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think that never ceases to surprise and delight me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what would, what would you say to someone? Cause this is, I, I've had a similar experience in that, like, as I dug in and realized like, whoa, all of scripture is connected, interconnected. Like the, the biggest reason we are confused about what John is talking about in Revelation is because we haven't immersed ourselves in the Old Testament. <laughs> like he's using imagery and all of this that, that we're not familiar with because we spend 80% of our time reading the New Testament. Like that excited mm-hmm. me. It kind of, like you said, put color to the picture. But when I talk to other people, and I I did early on kind of go through a little bit of a exhaustion, like no longer could I sit and enjoy a simple passage because it's like, Mm -hmm. well, what else am I missing missing about the context and about all this? What would you say to someone who's feeling like you're talking about all this is exciting and like, oh, it's all interconnected and it's all telling an overarching message? but that just feels overwhelming to me. Now, what do I do? You know, I don't have time to do all that. Yeah. I think there's two things, right? One, the Holy spirit is the interpreter. Like (laughs) he is the one that is with you. And as you read, as you, as you learn. And so like, depend on, depend on the spirit. It's not up to you to figure it out. But the other is just that God gives us what we need and scripture is plain. He's not, he's not obscuring these things, the connections, the depth, the intricacies, they add color, they add depth. They're there Mm -hmm. to give us confidence in God and confidence in what he's doing in the world and in understanding, but the basics are there. You can read the gospel and understand that you need to repent and believe and you need to turn around. Yeah. And all of the other stuff is just, it's, it's not icing on the cake. It's a lot more than that, but yeah, it's not essential for your salvation or for you to have a relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And church history shows that there's been all kinds of debate about a variety of theological issues. And yet God continues to keep his people. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's Chesterton. Go for it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, Chesterton, I think G.K. Chesterton has the analogy of the horse and the chariot, the church being like this horse and chariot that's careening all over the road, but that God keeps her on the road. Like (laughs) she goes this way and that, but, but God is the one that's, that actually driving and, and keeps her on the road. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What are some, if, if people are listening here, maybe, maybe we'll kind of end with this, but you mentioned earlier about learning how to read in context. And I I was just thinking like some of these things we talk about a lot, like reading in context or catching how does a certain 
reading, understanding how James or Amos or whatever fit into the overarching message of scripture. What are just some really practical things you advice you would give for reading just today or tomorrow or whenever they, someone reads their Bible next, like how they can begin to grasp and start reading it in context? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I feel like you can go so deep and micro or you can go so macro, right? But I think maybe two questions and then one piece of advice, which is also kind of a question. Um, but first, what is this? I think just really practical ways to to think about the broader context is is the questions: What does this say about God, and what does this say about us as humans? Um, this hmm. story, this passage. But then the the second thing, and this gets more directly at context is why is this here where it is so why is it after whatever story came right before it and why is it before whatever comes right after it and you can zoom out even more than that right you can think about it in the context of the book as a whole whatever but i find that often that that question of what comes right before what comes right after and why mm-hmm. and it's not always super apparent i i don't always figure out why <laughs> like sometimes it seems it seems nonsensical mm-hmm. but there's almost always purpose in the way that i think i can say always purpose in the way that scripture is arranged and presented yeah and things on either side yeah. usually illuminate illuminate the meaning yeah i i would say like i think scripture is more intentionally arranged for the the purpose and the message then even just like the order of events yeah how things happen yeah. yeah yes yeah we typically read in like oh this is narrative kind of historical just the progression the way things happen but no mm-hmm. it's almost it's rarely actually i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> just based purely on chronology but more on themes and, and and stories and mark of course does this all the time yeah where yeah. He'll start a story and then insert another one into the middle of it and then finish yeah. because those two stories have something to say to each other. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. And that's very, very helpful. So what does it say about God? What does it say about us as humans? And why is this passage here? In, meaning like why not before or after looking at the surrounding context? That's good. Any particular resources that you found helpful throughout your training so far? I mean, obviously, I'm going to recommend I'll drop a link to what you say, Kingdom of Priests. Is that the title of it? Kingdom of Priests. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the Bible study you developed, but what are some resources you've used and discovered for yourself that have been helpful? Yeah. So I see you have Bible Project posters yeah. <laughs> behind <laughs> you on the wall. I'm a huge fan of the Bible Project. I think they do excellent work. There's also, if you want to learn more about inductive Bible study, which I think is, it is an approach to Bible study that I think is really, really helpful. There's a book called The Bible Study Handbook by Lindsay Olsberg, and is just goes pretty in-depth into inductive Bible study process. And so if you're specifically wanting to learn more about that, that's a resource that I found really helpful. Honestly, the biggest resource is your curiosity, I say. Yeah always that being curious and just asking the next question is 
is one of the most productive ways to approach scripture. Yeah, that's really good. I I forget who it was told me early on that like the more education you get, the more you learn you the more you learn the questions that you never thought to ask before. Yeah. Oh, and I thought that was a really good way of putting it. Like we it's it's their curiosity. You're gonna discover questions that you you never asked or thought to ask before and, and just to keep asking that next one and pursuing it. Yeah. That's good. Absolutely. Yeah, well thank you, Christy, for taking the time to come on and share. I will have a link for Kingdom of Priests in the description of this episode. But is there do you do any other like formal writing or anything publicly or is it Mostly I'm pretty just active that, on, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty yeah. active on Instagram, but that's about it. I have yeah. a few, a few resources that I've done here and there, but no mm-hmm. website or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing, sharing what you've learned and discovered here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was wonderful. All right, friends. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Christy. I I enjoyed it. If you would like to check out her Bible study book, her Bible study program, just Google Daughters of Promise Kingdom of Priests or click the link in the description below and that will take you to the page where you can learn about the Bible study and also order the Bible study as well. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, if you have any feedback on the episode, I would love to hear in your comments, either if you're watching this on YouTube or on the blog, comment below. If you're listening to this on a podcast, you can send in your feedback to podcast at asherwhitmer.com. I'd love to hear, like, what are your thoughts about why? Why don't more women go for biblical studies and and why should we value that? <laughs> Maybe that's that's kind of a rhetorical question, I guess, especially after the episode. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You can comment it or send it in. Thanks for listening. Unfeigned Christianity is brought to you by our members at Patreon. As a part of the membership program, you receive two deep dive essays a month and expanded versions of all our podcast interviews. If you would like to become a member, visit www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member. Unfeigned Christianity podcast is also a part of two networks, the Restorative Faith Collective, where we have conversations about race, perspectives, and relationships in an Anabaptist context. To learn about more articles and podcasts, visit www.restorativefaithcollective.org. The second network is the Kingdom Outpost, where we talk about what it looks like to live as Jesus's nation in today's world. For more podcasts and articles, visit kingdomoutpost.org. Thanks for listening.